Let's pray and ask God to meet us in his word. Thank you, Lord, for that verse from 1 Kings 16 you had me read this morning. That you, because of Jesus, you deliver us from all of our enemies. And I want to lay hold of that promise and ask you to do that promise today, Lord. Deliver me from enemies of pride or of fear or of insecurity as I preach or of confusion or just like dullness. Deliver me from those enemies. And deliver us from enemies of distraction, of unbelief, of worry, fear, burdens that would lead our minds away from your word. And open up your word to us. By the work of the Holy Spirit, open our minds and hearts to see and feel and believe today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're celebrating Jesus' resurrection, as you know. And uh, don't want to assume that you all know what that's about or why that's so important. So let me just start off by giving you a little recap. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, came to this world. And he, he came for a couple reasons. One reason he came was so that we, with our own eyes, could see God. See God. As Jesus healed the sick, as Jesus welcomed children one by one onto his lap and blessed them, as Jesus, in righteous anger, cast the money changers out of the temple, as Jesus forgave a prostitute for her sins, as Jesus fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, one of the reasons Jesus came was so that we could see God with our own eyes. It's awesome to think about. Another reason he came was to teach us what's going on. And so he explained, we've been created by a loving, wise, powerful, good God, but we've all rebelled against God. He made us so we could have the heart-filling joy of knowing him and depending upon him, but we've all rebelled against him and therefore face eternal punishment. But Jesus went on to say that God has made a way. This is astonishing. I love this. God, in great love and mercy, he's made a way for that power of rebellion in your heart to be broken Changed. He's made a way for all of your sins to be forgiven, past, present, and future. He's made a way for you to be reconciled with your Father, with God your Father, through Jesus Christ, so that you can live your life because of the resurrection. This means that you can know God's forgiveness for over all of your sins. Because of the resurrection, you can have the power of sin in your heart broken. Because of the resurrection, all of God's promises can be strengthening you. All of his love can be satisfying you. All of his guidance can be directing you. His glory can be capturing you. His purpose can be energizing you now and forever. That's why the resurrection is so crucial. Because Jesus died on the cross, as we all know, just as he said. But he also said that on the third day he would rise again. So he died, as he said, And on the third day, he rose, as he said, and that 
resurrection was God's stamp of approval, if you will. It's like the seal on your college diploma or some official document. The resurrection was God's seal of approval. The Father has accepted Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. And so because Jesus said he would rise, and he did rise, God's stamp of approval upon his death, forgiveness is ours, our hearts can be changed, we can know God, and everything else that Jesus said was true, that's why the resurrection is so crucial. But now, I mean, there's lots of people today who don't believe in the resurrection. You know that. I know that. In fact, there's probably some of you here today who don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And we're glad you're here. Appreciate that. You'd come. And there's also lots of people who don't understand very clearly why do Christians believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I mean, why? Let me give you an example. Richard Dawkins has written and spoken lots about why he doesn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Here's what he said there was a forum in which people could email him questions, and someone emailed him this question What do you think happened? To the body of Jesus, and how does that tally with the accounts of the resurrection? It's a good question. All right, here's Richard Dawkins' answer. Presumably, what happened to Jesus was what happens to all of us when we die. We decompose. Accounts of Jesus' resurrection and ascension are about as well documented as Jack and the Beanstalk. You know, we can, we can grant him. This is a little bit of rhetorical hyperbole, obviously, okay? But you still get his point, don't you? It's not well documented at all, all right? And then one other quote I pulled out from an online article of his. He says, Science is based upon verifiable evidence. Religious faith not only lacks evidence, its independence from evidence is its pride, and joy shouted from the rooftops. Is that accurate? I know I'm preaching to the choir here, kind of, but... I mean, is the resurrection documented? Is there evidence or reasons for believing that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died and then was alive again? Is there... Is there any reason to believe that? Is it true that Christians not only don't have any evidence, but we pride ourselves in not needing evidence? Is that true? To answer that, let's take a look at Luke chapter 24. Verses 36 to 53. Now, if you need a Bible, I'd like you to have one. You can study along with us. So go ahead and raise your hand. It'd be great if you each could either have one right in front of you or one that you can share and look on with. Luke 24 is on page 885 in the Bibles we're passing out. And what we see here in Luke 24, starting in verse 36, is we see the disciples responding to the resurrected Jesus. How did they respond to him? Okay, let me give you a little bit of background so you can kind of feel what they were feeling. Repeatedly, Jesus had told the disciples that he was going to be betrayed and arrested and beaten and scourged and nailed to a cross. And repeatedly, Jesus said that on the third day, 
he would rise again. So they, they'd heard that from Jesus numerous times during the three years that they had spent with him. And then they saw this all start to happen. They were there when Jesus was betrayed. They saw him be arrested as he was beaten and scourged. And they saw him nailed to the cross. And they saw him die. And they saw a Roman soldier ram a spear up into his side to make sure that he was dead. And then they saw his body taken off of the cross and and buried in the tomb. So they saw all that happen. That was Friday. The next day was Saturday, which is the Jewish Sabbath. Nothing happened on that day, day of rest. Then Sunday, some of the disciples had gotten together again. And while they were together, some of the women disciples came and said that earlier that morning, Sunday morning, they'd gone to the tomb with some spices and ointments to prepare Jesus' body for burial. And when they got there, the the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. It's really cool, children's ministry this morning. The limbs made a a, a stone and they've got the tomb. You'll have to go check it out before you leave. But but they had seen the, the stone rolled away and no body in the tomb and two Men, shining men, who told him that Jesus had risen just like he said he would. So these two women, these women disciples came and told this gathering of disciples that that's what had happened. Then after they had said that, Peter came running into them and said that Jesus had met him. And then Jesus himself came to them as this gathering of disciples were all together right there. And you can see that in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, the gathering of disciples, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Now, how do they respond to this? Did they like just totally believe this is Jesus? Were they immediately overjoyed, instantly full of faith? No. Verses 37 and 38. But they were startled and frightened And thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Okay, so picture it. Jesus is right there in their midst. And they are startled. They're frightened. They think this is a spirit. They are troubled with doubts. They are slow, slow to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. The disciples are slow to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. So how does Jesus respond to them? What does he do? How does he seek to persuade them to believe that he rose from the dead? Did he just say, my followers have to believe without any evidence. Just believe it? Is that what he said? No. I love what Jesus does here. This is, just, this is so loving of Jesus. This is so... Gracious, This strengthens my faith when I struggle and have doubts and, and am troubled in my heart. This is just precious what Jesus does here. This is his love for us. I mean, think about it. He had told them he would be betrayed, arrested, beaten, scourged, die, rise three days later. Repeatedly he told them. And just as he said, he'd been betrayed, arrested, beaten, scourged, crucified, why can't they believe that the third that he rose you know, three days later? But look at how he responds. 
First thing he does, he shows them his hands and his feet. Verses 38 and 40. He said to them, read verse 38 again, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. They don't believe. Jesus says, look at my hands, look at my feet. So Matthew, John, Peter would have come a little closer, looked at his hands. What would they have seen? Nail prints. Looked at his feet. What would they have seen? Nail scars. So they would have known this is Jesus. Okay? It's starting to click in. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. And then he says, touch me. Verse 39, touch me and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So they thought maybe they were seeing a spirit's It was very important to Jesus that they not think he was just a spirit. He'd been raised bodily. He'd been raised physically. He says, touch my hands. Feel the flesh. Feel the bones. Okay, just feel your hand there. Feel that? Go ahead. It's all right. Feel that hand right there, okay? There's flesh there. There's bones there. Jesus wants them to understand, I'm not a spirit. I've been physically, bodily raised from the dead. Feel My hands, feel my feet, feel the flesh and bones. Well, this helped a little bit, okay? But verse 41, we can see they aren't quite there yet. Verse 41, while they still disbelieved for joy, so there was some joy kicking in there, but they still disbelieved and they were marveling, he did something else. He gave them more evidence. He said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. So Jesus eats broiled fish before them. Now, Luke emphasizes that this was before them. He wanted them to see this. Do you have anything to eat? Broiled fish. See, not only do spirits not have flesh and bone, spirits don't eat broiled fish. And he wants them to understand that he is right there, in front of them. He says, see my hands and feet. Touch my hands and feet. Watch me as I eat. Evidence, 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 evidence. Now, did you know that that's how Jesus operated? How would you have answered Richard Dawkins without looking at this passage? Would you have thought, well, yeah, it's kind of hard to believe, but we're just supposed to believe anyway, you know, just because we like turn our brains off and then we just believe, you know? No! See my hands and my feet, disciples! Touch my hands and my feet! Watch me eat this broiled fish! Evidence, evidence, evidence. Now, I love that about Jesus. If you have doubts, if you have a hard time believing, and I understand, I mean, to switch, to to start believing that Jesus was risen from the dead, for many of you, would mean a profound change of your worldview. It would turn your world upside down. It would rock your world. And that's right. It should, and it will. And it's a good thing. But I understand. It's like, oh man, I don't know. But see, Jesus gives 
evidence. He says, touch. He says, see. And when that's not enough, he says, watch as I eat. See, biblical faith is never blind. Biblical faith is because of evidence. It's because of evidence. Jesus gives them evidence here to build their faith. I just love Jesus' mercy here to do that. Don't you love that? So that's, that's Jesus' response to you. He loves you. He cares about you. He'll give you evidence. If you're sincere, he'll give you all the evidence that you need. Probably already has. All right? But he loves you. He'll give you the evidence. So that's what Jesus does for the disciples. And that's what he does for us as well. Now, I want you to understand what's happening here. Notice in verse 48, he says to the disciples, you are witnesses of these things. That's really important. I'm going to underline that in your Bible. There's two reasons Jesus gave the disciples all this evidence. I mean, evidence upon evidence upon evidence. There's two reasons. One is so that they would believe. Okay? But there's a second reason he wants to just pile the evidence on for them is so that they can then be witnesses to tell us of the evidence that they've received. He wants them to have evidence so that they'll believe, and he wants them to have evidence so that they'll give us the same evidence so that we can believe. And that's what you see throughout the book of Acts. There's probably five or six places in the book of Acts where the disciples, these men right here, preach about the resurrection. They say, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we've witnessed it. Five or six times in the book of Acts. This is what they're talking about. Let me give you one example. Look at Acts 10, 39 to 41. Here, Peter, we'll put it up on the screen just to save time from looking. There, there we go. Peter's preaching to a Cornelius' household, okay? And look at what he says. We are witnesses, that's what he's referring to, of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who'd been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. We're witnesses. We ate with him. We drank with him after he rose from the dead. We saw him. We touched him. We watched him. We fellowshiped with him. We were there with him. We bear witness to you that we saw Jesus alive from the dead. So why should Cornelius and all of his gang there believe that Jesus rose from the dead? It's because of this eyewitness testimony that Peter and the other apostles gave to them. That's why, evidence. Okay, now, so we've got the apostles. Luke 24, Jesus says, see me, touch me, watch me eat. They've got all this evidence. He sends them out in the book of Acts to preach. We witnessed it. We saw Jesus. We witnessed it. We saw him. But their witness doesn't stop there. They also bear witness through the historical documents that they wrote, which were in your Bible right there. Give you an example. Matthew was part of that group in Luke 24. Matthew wrote the gospel according to Matthew around AD 55. And in the gospel according to Matthew, he describes his eyewitness testimony of Jesus, miracles, death on the cross, resurrection. Eyewitness document you have right here in your Bible. You're holding this in your hand. Matthew's gospel. John's gospel, same thing. John writes his eyewitness testimony. He was there, Luke 24, and he writes his gospel so that you can read his eyewitness testimony of seeing, touching, watching Jesus. Peter 
uh, by the way, John also wrote First and Second and Third John in Revelation. So a lot of the New Testament is John. Peter was also part of this group right here, and he wrote First and Second Peter, where he describes his eyewitness experience of Jesus. So the book you hold in your hands, it says Holy Bible right here, and that's true. That's helpful, but don't miss the fact that this is a collection of historical documents. And in the New Testament, it's written by eyewitnesses of Jesus, eyewitnesses of Jesus after he'd been raised from the dead. You're holding in your hand historical documents. Now, if you have historical documents about something, that means it's been documented. Does that ring a bell? Documented. Documents documented. It's very important to Jesus, to God the Father, that the resurrection of his son be documented for us. Because faith isn't a blind leap in the dark. Faith is a trusting response to evidence that God has given to us. And so you are holding in your hands eyewitness historical evidence for the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And I just want to tell you, there is no evidence to argue against Jesus rising from the dead. There's no literary evidence. There's no historical evidence. There's no linguistic evidence. There's no archaeological evidence. There's no evidence that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. All the evidence that we have confirms that he rose from the dead. Now, again, I understand, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, The thought of a God breaking into this world and making a corpse live, that would rock your world. Let it. Let it. It's true. You don't have any reason not to believe it. There's just no evidence. There's no evidence arguing on the other side. There just isn't. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. 2,000 years ago, the tomb was empty. He was walking around, eating broiled fish, inviting the disciples to look at him and to touch his flesh and bone hands. It's as real as that. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So I just want to start there this morning so that you can maybe have notions corrected in your mind about why we believe this. It's very well documented. Historical documents all through the New Testament from eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. And we don't believe this because we pride ourselves in not needing reasons to believe things. That's not wise. You don't live any the rest of your life that way. You need reasons to believe things. God gives you reasons. He wants you to have reasons. He wants you to believe him because of reasons. That's why I believe the resurrection. That's why I would urge you to believe in the resurrection. And if you're not yet believing that Jesus rose from the dead, that's, that's the path I would have you pursue. Follow the evidence where it leads. I challenge you to do that. Follow the evidence where it leads. Okay, now in, in Luke 24, Luke starts off by laying the foundation for all the evidence for the resurrection. And then the last, the last part of this passage, starting in about verse 44, what Luke does is he unfolds for us 
what Jesus' resurrection means for us. And this is what I want you to see. Five truths. I'll close with these. Here's what Jesus' resurrection means for us. Luke 24, starting in verse 44. First, his resurrection confirms Jesus as the Christ foretold in the Old Testament. Look at verses 44 to 46. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Here's some background. All through the Old Testament, God had promised the coming of the Messiah. Adam and Eve sinned. We've all sinned and rebelled against God. God's curse came upon the world. God's judgment forever was levied upon all of us. But God promised a Messiah in the future. And so all through the Old Testament, God foretells the coming of his Messiah. And he said his Messiah is going to be born of a virgin. His Messiah will be fully God and fully man. He said the Messiah would heal the sick. He said the Messiah would would preach, teach good news. He said the Messiah would take our sins upon himself, Isaiah 53. And he said that the Messiah would rise from the dead. This is what the Messiah was prophesied as being and doing. And so when Jesus came, well, the Old Testament said he would be crucified and that he would rise from the dead. Jesus came and he was crucified, that's good. But if he wouldn't have been risen from the dead, then he couldn't have been the Messiah. Jesus was crucified And just like the Old Testament said about the Messiah, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is the Messiah, foretold starting back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, all through the Old Testament. He fulfilled prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, which means you have evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence. Let me just appeal to you. If you're, if you're an evidence kind of person, with all the evidence that you have about Jesus, and maybe you've just started to explore this, so just keep this in the back of your mind, there's every reason for you to see him as, as the Messiah and to receive him as your Savior, to receive him as your Lord, to receive him as your, your treasure. You have every reason and I would just urge you to do that, but, but that's kind of getting into the second point, too, that Jesus makes here. Here's the second implication of the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection calls us to repent and be forgiven. Look at verses 45 through verse 47. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, here's more about the Messiah, that the Christ, that's the word Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus' resurrection means that you should repent and be forgiven. And here's how that works. I thought about it like this. If Jesus was a corpse, which he was, a dead corpse, and he regained life. He actually was dead and he regained life. That means that we're not alone. 
That means that there's some power outside of the natural realm which does something, does things supernatural. Right? It means we're not alone. And all that Jesus taught was that this one who does supernatural things is God, our creator, who we've rebelled against. And so the fact of the resurrection, the fact that his body didn't just decompose, but that his body was raised, shows that there is a God who works in this world to whom we're accountable. And none of us, I haven't, you haven't, we haven't thanked him the way that we should. We haven't trusted him, depended upon him the way that we should. We haven't obeyed him the way that we should. Anybody here obeyed God the way that we should? Not likely. And so we all need to repent. There is a God. Jesus rose from the dead. There's something else going on here than just natural actions and reactions, physical processes. There's more than just the natural world. There's a whole supernatural dimension of God, creator, personally creating a universe so that we could know him and love him and us rebelling against him and facing his judgment. So you've got to repent. Do you feel that? There's something else going on here. There's someone else at work here. I have not responded to him the way that I should. I need to repent. Now, I know the word repent is kind of a bad word. That's the kind of word that people, you know, weird people use on signs and stand out in public street corners and stuff, right? But the word repent, it's all through the Bible. It's just all over the place. Mark summarizes Jesus' message as the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. Repent, repent, repent. We just can't escape it. And it's a wonderful word. Because the word repent means turn from your independence from God and turn to trusting God in the person of Jesus. Repentance means turns from all the ways that you've not relied upon God, all the ways you've not submitted to God, all the ways that you've not depended upon God, and trust Jesus to forgive all of your sins, to be the righteousness you need to be accepted by God. Trust Him. Repent doesn't mean Try to be really, really good. Start going to church. Clean up your language. It's not what repent means. Repent means trust Jesus. You'll never be good enough. He's the one who was good enough. You'll never be able to earn forgiveness from God by obedience. His death on the cross purchased forgiveness from God for your disobedience. Repent means you turn from your waywardness and your independence and you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to urge you to do. And when you do, you'll be forgiven. The moment you repent of your sins, they'll all be forgiven. Past sins, all forgiven. Present sins right now, all forgiven. Every future sin, all forgiven. Forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Now, I, I, if, if you got the past covered and the present covered and the future covered, that's all of it, right? Last time I looked, as far as I can see, that's all my sins. Past sins, present sins, future sins, you'll be forgiven. That's what Jesus says here, repentance and forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus rose from the dead, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. That's what I'm doing here. I'm I'm proclaiming to you repentance and forgiveness of sins. Have you repented before Jesus Christ? He is God. He is God in the flesh. He rose from the dead. Listen, you will see him one day. He will be your judge one day. Please get this. You will see Jesus Christ. He will be your judge one day. Repent and trust him. And on that day, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. But I tell you, you will see him. Nothing you can do to change that. He's God. The father appointed him as judge of the world. 
you one day will be judged by Jesus. Please take this seriously. Everything in your life is about this. So repent and trust him. Third, Jesus' resurrection urges us to proclaim Jesus to the nations by God's power. I love this. Verses 47 to 49. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So because Jesus rose from the dead, which verifies, certificates, authenticates that his death was accepted by God the Father as payment for our sins because Jesus rose from the dead, anyone, everyone around the globe can be forgiven for their sins if we'll repent and put our trust in Jesus. But the only way somebody's going to do that is if they hear the good news. And the only way people hear the good news is by people like you and like me telling them the good news. So proclaim, just like Jesus says here, proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. In verse 49, what a sweet promise of power. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. That's what they did. They needed to go to Jerusalem, hang out there until Pentecost came. Okay, We don't go to Jerusalem and hang out until Pentecost comes. Pentecost has come. As we ask God for the power of the Holy Spirit and go and knock on your neighbor's door and humbly seek to love them and serve them and care for them and befriend them and proclaim repentance and forgiveness in Jesus, you will be clothed with power from on high. That's how it works now. So nobody taking trips to Jerusalem, nobody waiting there until you get clothed with power from on high. But this is the word to the disciples. That's how it worked for them. But I want to tell you, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was killed, dead, buried. God brought his supernatural power upon him on the third day, raised him from the dead to show the world what's going on. And then he says to his followers, now go proclaim to all the nations repentance and forgiveness of sins. Go proclaim to all the nations. Go proclaim. You're all still sitting here. It's all right. A few more minutes, but then you can go and you start proclaiming. But see, he says, go and proclaim and and we think, well, I, I hope they'll all start going sometime soon. I mean, I hope that they're going to go and start proclaiming. But he says that to you. You're sent as his missionary to your neighborhood. He says, go, proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in my name. You're sent as a missionary to your workplace. That's why you're there. We're thankful for the paycheck. But another reason you're there is to go and proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Do you see the resurrection? Everything's different because of the resurrection. Your whole life purpose is different because of the resurrection. So go and proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Now do it humbly and do it lovingly and maybe do it through tears, boldly, but do it. Do it. So I'm so proud of the Morocco team going. Because they did. Little risk in going to Morocco and doing this stuff. But they did it. Let's do it. Fourth. I love this picture of Jesus. 
He's alive today, continually blessing those who trust him. Look at verses 50 and 51. What an amazing picture of Jesus. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. This is the last thing Jesus does in Luke's gospel. So he goes out, leads them out to Bethany, and then he, he blesses them. He speaks blessing to them. And, and when Jesus speaks blessing, it happens. Not just words, but his words are sovereign power. And so he speaks blessing, strength, comfort, guidance, his love, his goodness, his tenderness, his power, his righteousness. He blesses them. And he kept blessing them while, and the father said, it's time to come home. And he kept blessing them all the way up is kind of the picture that I get because he loved them. Do you see his love for the disciples here? He loved these men. Jesus loves you. The resurrected Jesus is alive today. And this is his stance towards you. If you've repented and are trusting him, he's blessing you. Tomorrow morning on the 280, he's blessing you. This afternoon, as you're having family over and hoping it's all going to get put together and you're feeling a little bit nervous about it right now, he's blessing you. This week, as you have some disappointment with your kids, he's blessing you. So Jesus Christ is blessing you. In fact, to see this in a slightly different way, look back up and just read verses 37 and 38 together. I just sensed in the Holy Spirit this morning that these two words, these two verses are especially meant for some of you right now. It's kind of like a prophetic thing, maybe. I don't know. I just sense it in my heart. Read verses 37 and 38 together because Jesus is saying, I'm sorry, 38 and 39. Jesus is saying these verses to you right now. 38 and 39. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now just extrapolate from that. That might be about your job. It might be about your husband, your wife, might be about your health, might be about your finances, might be just about your past, might be about your future. Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? And then here's what Jesus is saying to you. See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. You see that? Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at Jesus' hands and feet right now. See them. He is alive. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He loves you. The Jesus who loved you, died on the cross to pay for your sins, who lived a life of perfect righteousness so you could be clothed with that and accepted fully by God. The Jesus who wants to bless you. Why are you troubled Do you see my hands? Do you see my feet? I'm alive today. Trust me. Do you feel that? Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. Some of you need to pray over those two verses and see Jesus and let that alleviate your troubledness and your doubts.
One last implication. Jesus' resurrection compels us to worship him with great joy. Look where Luke leaves this book. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Why? Because Jesus was risen. Because Jesus rose, all their sins, all your sins, all my sins can be forgiven through Jesus' death on the cross because he rose. Because Jesus rose, breaking sin's power through his death and resurrection, the rebellion in your heart can be broken. If you're trusting him, the rebellion in your heart has been broken, but there's still rebellion that crops up frequently, right? And that can keep being broken. So because of his resurrection, the rebelliousness, the sin in our hearts can be broken. Because Jesus is risen, as we trust him, we can know God now as our father. Not, not, not any longer as our judge. He was our judge, and that was right. But he judged Jesus in our place if you're trusting him. And so now you can know him as your father. You can know God as your father. And because Jesus is risen, he's conquered death. You don't need to be afraid of death. Just like God the Father raised Jesus, he's going to raise you to be with him forever. Let's have the band come on up. And as they're coming, I just want to plead with you um, to hear Jesus say, look at my hands and my feet. Why are you troubled? Why do you have doubts in your soul? Look at my hands and at my feet. So Jesus is saying, look, look at the evidence. Look at who I am. And so I just want to plead with you to put your trust in Jesus Christ today. I'm not talking about starting to go to church. I think church can help. I'm a pastor. Okay, it's important to me. All right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you trusting Jesus. You and your heart right now, turning from your independence, turning from your rebellion, and saying, Jesus, I'm sorry for my waywardness and for my rebellion. I want to trust you now. I want to trust you, Jesus. Forgive me. Give me the gift of your perfect righteousness so that I can be accepted completely by the Father. Change my heart. Start to work your real righteousness in me. I surrender my life to you. I bend the knee before you right now. Please do that right now. Repent of your sins right now. Please. I want to urge you to this because I want to have a clear conscience before the Lord that I've, I've done my part this morning to, to make it straight with you so you understand what's going on. Jesus Christ is the best news in the world if you repent and trust him. You got to repent. You got to trust him. Lord, I pray that you'd bring your power upon us right now. I pray for those who've never surrendered their lives to you. And I pray that you would help them right now. Move them to repent right now, to see who you are and to trust you. Pour your love into their hearts. Show yourself to them. Have mercy on them. I pray, Lord, as you've had mercy on so many of us here. And Lord, those who are troubled by finances, health, worries, relationships, family, marriage, difficulties, 
Would you show them your hands and your feet right now and let them see and trust and rest in you? We worship you, Jesus Christ. We want to join with the disciples and worship you with great joy right now.